0: But then when it comes to recruitment, don't do what the vast majority of businesses do, which is hire an experienced managing director to launch in a new region. That's not what we recommend at all.
1: Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I am your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm excited to be joined today by Colin Klein. Colin is the co-founder of Scalar. They are a growth advisory firm that helps tech companies reach their revenue goals through strategy, execution, and people. Scalar, which by the way is spelt S-C-A-L-E-R-R, is headquartered in Melbourne with offices in Singapore and London. Be sure to follow Colin on LinkedIn where you'll see he's a go-to-market board advisor, recruiter, venture capitalist, public speaker, and expert in growing valuations of tech companies. He's helped over 150 successful startups to expand in the APEC region, not to mention tech companies like Wix, Forder, Deal, Binance, and Amazon Web Services. I've known Colin since 2014. He's a former client and I've tracked his remarkable rise, especially since he launched Scalar. Although we've never met in person, I consider him a friend. Colin, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
0: I, to be honest, it sounds like my career has actually gone full circle that finally after studying so much, Mark, would be material and being coached by you to be here. It's kind of a surreal feeling,
1: but thrilled to be here, man. Um, Really looking forward to this. All right. Awesome. So um, where do you want to start? Like, I feel like this should be part one of a series because there's been so many chapters in your recruiting career. Um, But it's been a good while since we properly caught up. So maybe, I mean, let's just concentrate primarily on, on Scalar, if that's all right. And let's I mean, is there anything from the early days that you wanted to mention that have been instrumental in kind of helping you get to where to this current uh, phase in your in your career?
0: Yeah, so I like how you teed that one up. I'm not saying this because I'm on this recording with you now, but. I've said this to you before, Mark. You have been actually instrumental in getting me to where I am in my career. I'm only going to talk about um, like 10 years ago and pre-scaler for a little bit because I do want to focus more on the scalar stuff. But where I first came across you was when I had just stopped being an accountant. I fell into sales. I fell into the world of recruitment. And I was absolutely useless. Um, I was absolutely horrendous at it. And I must have had like five breakdowns and constantly under so much stress. But it's just one of those things where it's, I know that I'm absolutely woeful at this job, but I'm going to give my 100% to try and get myself better as I'm probably not the first or the last person who went into the world of sales and was absolutely just useless when they first started. That's actually the day that you were introduced into my life. I went online and I Googled material to help me with recruitment. And that's when I came across your material. So I downloaded your old ebook and I remember that I I was reading it and I think I was in month four of my recruitment career and I'd made one placement, which I did source end to end. But after that, like no pipeline, no clients, no one returning my calls. And there was a few things that I read in that book which really stuck with me and something that I still apply to this day. And I swear every single time that I started implementing this, my billings would automatically go up. And that was, these were my original Mark Whitby teachings. When you're presenting a candidate, you don't need to send them a resume. They don't need to see a dissertation on the person's life or that their hobbies are fishing and golf. You can send them a LinkedIn profile, and as long as your notes, your bullet points are really, really succinct and how they hit the must-have and the like-to-have requirements, that's the only thing that matters. Second of all, in terms of client control, after you take a job brief, lock in a time next week to debrief on candidates. So that way, momentum is entirely within your control. And if they agree and if they accept that invite, then you can start sourcing. Um, you can send over the terms. Or you can start sourcing. You don't need to be as rigid in terms of getting them to send the terms back to you because they have agreed to have that conversation with you where they don't know who you are. You need to demonstrate who you are. So if you do that and you knock it out of the park in that presentation, then you can book in something like three to four interviews. You're completely in control of the process. So I started doing that. I started implementing that. And that's when I went from, this has got to be the worst job on the planet to, okay, I'm actually starting now to enjoy it. And that's where I started becoming a better and a better biller. And that's, I guess, when taking those learnings, I then went out and I started my own agency. So that's actually how I first came across Wow, that's
1: so cool. I don't think I've heard that story before. And I don't even remember when and where I said those things, but I'll take the credit. Thank you, sir. So amazing. And then you've, you know, you, you started your own agency and there was various ups and downs in, in, that, uh, in that road. Do you want to hit a couple of the highs and lows, you know, pre-scaler, uh, you know, that kind of helped you? Because scalar is a different sort of business. It's not a traditional or purely recruitment uh, agency. There's so many other things that you're doing. So I guess it would be useful to hear this, like the evolution in your thinking and how why you ended up uh, you know doing what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. So ha-
0: happy to share all of that. So for nine years, I ran a company called Zach Group, and we were exclusively a technology vendor focused recruitment agency. And for those that are outside of the technology vendor industry it essentially means companies that make software or hardware. So think about like a job out of CRM or Salesforce, it's companies like that. So, I mean, there were absolutely highs as I only had 13 months or 14 months of recruitment experience when we went out and I started that business with an old business partner. And some of the magical moments were, well, first of all, getting it off the ground Um, winning some relatively quite sizable deals with companies like Amazon Web Services, uh, doing quite a volume of recruitment work for them. Sorry, I forgot what it's called, not a retained search. Um, Doing an RPO for them, that was quite a high. It was quite a high when we started doing business internationally, when we started making trips up to Singapore, given that that was very much the business hub of Asia Pacific. Like Singapore plays the role that London does for EMEA than New York does for the U.S. or let's just say Sao Paulo for Latin America. When we started getting international clients, when we started working with a lot of very successful and rapidly growing tech unicorns, um, so we kind of became the go-to recruitment agency that if you were a rapidly growing tech company that's received a ton of funding and you now need to enter and build out a team in Asia-Pacific, that we would be the ones that would be delivering that. So there was a lot of really enjoyable and exciting moments. I mean, it also absolutely had its down, downsides. So as everyone would have encountered, it's well, as many people would have encountered as recruitment business owners, it's when um, people from the working within the business had gone out and started their own. That sucked, although now I actually look at it as a compliment. I'm actually good friends with all the people that that had happened with previously. Um also just having disagreement with my business partner my former business partner in terms of it's just a different outlook in terms of what we wanted for the business um uh, in the sense of i very much wanted a growth business where I, there was a misalignment where he, for him having a smaller business which was just easier a little bit more stress free was more what he wanted definitely the lowest lowest point was the covid period uh, as i'm sure it was for yeah. a lot of period for a lot of people that was a uh, An experience that I would like to forget, that was tough, man. But the thing is, one thing I found is that if you're ever going through a particularly challenging time like that, I could either sit there and feel sorry for myself or I can get out a piece of paper. I could listen to Tony Robbins or Brian Tracy or even yourself, Mark Whitby, and basically yes, there's this difficult situation here. If I want to get myself out of this difficult situation, ask yourself better questions, get better answers. What is everything that I need to do to succeed in this kind of an environment? So through asking that, you just – you we found quite a few means and I'll, it kind of kicked off the journey to where I am now and what I'm doing with Scalar. So – I suppose, would you like me to share with you the story about the pivot? I'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. But before
1: we do that, could you just touch on, you kind of skimmed over that COVID was a particularly low point. Could you just explain mm-hmm. why that was the case and what was going on?
0: Yeah, so first of all, a lot of hiring had been yep. frozen and it was a compounding of factors. So there was a so quite a substantial downturn, but also being based in Australia and Melbourne in particular, which had the world's longest lockdown, that was quite challenging. I think we spent a total of something like seven months in hard lockdown. So not being able to see your staff, also seeing such a big downturn within revenues, and we had actually considered winding down the business. But if we did that, we had a lot of staff which were on visas which meant that they would have gotten deported out of the country, but they weren't actually able to get back into the UK. So it's like, well, morally, I can't do something like that. So managing that, and also, I guess, it, I suppose there was also friction between myself and uh, my business partner at the time. So going through some challenges there, going through a major, major downturn where the business is losing money hand over fist, um, being sort of stuck in this very unpleasant circumstance where we're perennially in lockdown. And you can watch some of the footage from that time in Melbourne. It's pretty crazy. Um, but my wife was pregnant at the time. Wow. I know that I need to then provide for a little one. I also need to keep this business afloat because I need to be able to help to provide for the people that are working within the business. So it was a huge amount of pressure. at had a very, very difficult and stressful time. And that was that was arguably the most Mm.
1: stressful thing that I've ever gone through. Colin, I think it's worth, uh, a a lot of uh, recruiting firms within tech are, I mean, it's nothing like COVID, but they're in a similar uh, moment now where they're experiencing a slowdown in hiring, for example, and they're experiencing that level of stress. Could you speak a little bit, how did you manage that level of pressure, that stress, and then, find a way to, you know, to, to, to come back from that and do something constructive and, and um, you know, and, and positive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there was a few things that happened. Number one, ask yourself better mm-hmm. questions, get better right. answers. And I started asking myself questions in terms of how do we – instead of worrying about how do we stay afloat, how do we actually grow and do well during a current global economic downturn? So I started asking myself, okay, if the market that we specialize in, is technology vendors that are entering Asia Pacific and our means of go-to-market, it's ringing up these hiring managers and cold calling and email marketing, who are the other companies that, or other businesses that have got access to companies that are doing market entry into the Asia-Pacific region. So that kicked off our partnership program because from that realization, it's okay, government entities, government entities, they are KPI'd on getting international investment to come either into the state or into the country. So if there is a business from France that's looking at entering Australia, typically they're going to get wind of it. Okay, what other businesses also service this particular ecosystem, but from a completely complementary angle? Where there's, well, there's law firms that do that. There's accounting firms that do that. Um, there's technology associations. So, as an example, like the FinTech Association of Singapore or FinTech Association of Australia, these are member-based organisations, um, not for profit, but they are also KPI and having new members coming in, and they've got very good relationships with various other organizations globally where they get wind of which companies are looking to be able to come into the region. So how can we help the government, help these sort of organizations, help these law firms and accounting firms? And that's where we started building out our partnership program. So sometimes I would know if a company is considering coming into Australia, so I would refer that to the Australian government. But then other times, Australian government or a state government would know that a company is interested in coming in. Now, they can't go out there and do the business development to close deals for them. Um, But they can bring me in to speak with them and I guess explain how you would enter Australia, how you would do it in a really, really lean way. And we started doing the exact same thing. And we just thought about it from this perspective. If a company works with the exact same target customer base that we do, but from a 100% complementary angle. The people that we're typically working with in those organizations, it will usually be a partner manager. What is a partner manager KPI'd on? It's bringing on board new partners. Typically, that's the KPI. Okay. So if I know that a partnership manager from government is KPI'd on having new companies enter the market, well, then if I want to get them on site and build a relationship, just give them what they want. Hey, I know these five companies that are considering market entry into Australia. I'd love to facilitate some introductions for you. And because you're adding value to them, people tend to reciprocate. So we started doing that and we started doing it across a range of different um, companies as well as government bodies. And from that, we started getting quite a few leads then coming our way. So whilst everyone else was struggling for work, we were actually getting referred a substantial amount of work from governmental level, from other technology vendors. So that's how we kind of created an inbound lead funnel. So that was that was one of the big turning points in my company, and I suppose that that turning point was particularly in the way in which we did business development. I've got other points, but I'll I'll, I'll stop intermittently <laughs> so you can ask questions. Amazing,
1: this. amazing. So I did want to ask you about how, why you made this pivot from recruiter into ma- essentially a, a management consultant, um, and it sounds like that was the sort of beginning of that shift, right? In terms of thinking about how you do business development and then, but in doing so, you became much more than just a recruiter, didn't you? Because you're actually, you know, uh, providing a critical role and helping companies to expand within APEC. So how did that develop from there? Yeah, absolutely. So
0: I remember... I remember all of this very, very well. Myself and my now business partner, we were going for a walk around Albert Park Lake, which is the four, where the Formula One is in Melbourne. And we asked ourselves the question of why? Why do these international tech companies, rapid growth businesses that are going for a NASDAQ listing or really well cashed up, why do they ask for our help? Like what is the core purpose about why we're servicing these businesses? And then we're also thinking about our buying personas because we don't really deal with talent acquisition or HR. Like most of the time, it's actually working with the CRO or the founder or head of global growth or something like that. And then after thinking about this for two days, it just, I remember I was cycling on my Peloton where i had pretty much frozen up and it's just like, oh my God, I can't believe that I've never thought about this. The reason why is all tied to valuation. Now, forgive me if I'm going to go into some tech and stock market lingo, but just bear with me because it explains quite a lot. When in the world of technology, if a company can get traction in a new international market, it grows the valuation of that business in the eyes of investors because it shows that this is now a globally scalable business model. So what we piece together is that the vast majority of companies that we were working with, the reason why they were expanding into Asia Pacific is because they needed to get traction and customers here before they went for an initial public offering on the NASDAQ. Because the more markets they got traction in APAC, the higher the value would be of the stock when the business floated. So from that realization, and then also thinking about, but I've also worked with companies which were already publicly listed. If you're already a publicly listed company, you are still ultimately judged by the performance of your mm-hmm. stock price. To grow the value of your stock, grow your revenue. How do you grow your revenue? Find more things to sell to your existing customer base or open up new markets. So everything that we were doing in international expansion, it all was tied to the valuation of a business. So we were helping companies to grow their valuation for 10 years. We just happened to be delivering it through the model of recruitment. And we—I I've never thought about the situation this way. Then, from that thinking, and this also coincided with me starting to invest into a lot of the companies which we were recruiting for, because that made it really fun and exciting when you're actually reading their financial statements and yearly investor presentations, and you actually know the company's roadmap for the next like three, four, five years. You sound like an absolute expert when you're speaking to candidates. So, I just became genuinely really interested in it. And again, ask better questions and you get better answers. So, if what we're doing is we're helping companies to grow their value because they need to do a new capital raise, they need to achieve certain milestones, or they're looking to go for an initial public offering. Well, recruitment is extremely important. Hiring a first person on ground, it's all very, very important. But there's an entire series of activities which takes place before a company is ready to do market entry into a new market. What are they? Typically, it's a business needs to validate and prove that there's paying customers there, or there's partners that can support them, or they can get some assistance from government. Because what I've seen in my time as well, and this is also one of the reasons why we pivoted, from working with so many companies, I realized that there are some businesses that enter the Asia Pacific market and they're there for two years and then they ended up pulling out of the APAC region and closing up shop. But then there's other businesses that entered and were just wildly successful. What is it that made those businesses wildly successful? So I'd worked with companies like UiPath. I'd worked with companies like Amazon Web Services with Deal, which is one of the most successful businesses I've ever seen. And from doing that, you start learning playbooks and you start learning that success leaves clues. And there are certain ways in which companies expand that de-risks it, validates it, gets traction. They do it in a lean and sustainable manner. And then they grow and scale. One of my clients, which is now the fastest growing SaaS company in the world, fastest ever company to hit $100 million annual recurring revenue, they had a very particular formula that they applied when they were expanding into a new market. And that is before putting boots on the ground, get revenue and traction. How do you do that? Get get channel partners, businesses that sell to the same customer base from a complementary angle, because then you know that You've got people that are prepared to help you. You've got some potential customer referrals. You've got some traction. It's been validated. But then when it comes to recruitment, don't do what the vast majority of businesses do, which is hire an experienced managing director to launch in a new region. That's not what we recommend at all. Instead of spending, let's just say, £150,000 to find a country manager for the United Kingdom it's a lot of money to put up for a startup. This person likely was managing a team of 20 or 50 before that. This is not the type of profile that you want to launch your startup in a new region. Yes, they may have contacts, but they're not going to be hands on. They're going to require a large team in order to be able to do it. And what we started learning is that the person that can take a company from zero to one or zero to 10 is very different to the person that can do 11 to 50. 51 to 200. What this business did was what's called hiring expansion managers, which is target young people, 28 to 36 years old, who have worked at a related type of startup. And it has to be a startup or this model doesn't work. Because if it's a startup, it means that this company effectively launched from scratch in a new region. So whoever had worked there, they've seen how this is done. 28 to 36 years old, They've been there for three to four years. They've been promoted two to three times. So this is clearly an intelligent, capable, competent person, but they're not a manager just yet. Target them to become your expansion manager and say that if you achieve milestones A, B, and C, you get to become our country manager. So for them, it's legitimately an opportunity to fast track their career by about 10 years. Before the business, they know who the customers are. They know who the channel partners are. They're not relying upon contacts because contacts are finite, but they know a playbook and a playbook is infinite. And it costs about half or one third of hiring that experienced managing director. So how do we then tie all of this together? One, I became an investor in companies. So I realized how important it is for startups and startup founders to keep costs down. So when I started working with businesses and speaking to them, I can speak to them on their wavelength. I'm not talking to them as a recruiter hey, I've got a BDR. Do you want to pay me a fee? No, I actually understand what your stresses and pain points are. I know that you're likely trying to capital raise at the moment. So I know that you need to keep costs down and you need to de-risk this as much as humanly possible. Otherwise, you're going to be under a lot of pressure from the board. So I speak to them on their language. Second of all, because I'd helped over 150 companies, I'd learned what makes some businesses successful and some businesses fail. So I learned playbooks. Third, and this is purely from my recruitment experience. I've recruited three CEOs of publicly listed companies and something like 50 VP general manager type of positions. And when you're speaking with these people, super successful people, and you ask them, how did you do it? You learn Absolutely. a lot. You learn information that somebody else is prepared to pay hundreds of millions of dollars for. So you start learning, what is it that made some companies wildly successful? What is it that successful CEOs did to grow and scale a company? So, and also understanding how all of this ties in ultimately into valuation, I realized that I know how to grow and scale and build a business. I know the sort of people that you need to get at the various stages. I know what it is that keeps this founder awake at night and who they're ultimately accountable for. I know what it is that keeps their VP of sales up at night and what they're ultimately accountable for. And because I've seen how other businesses have done it, And I'd also built out quite extensive networks and contacts with venture capital, et cetera, et cetera. I moved more into, it purely happened by accident, actually, where someone's like, look, I can't afford to pay your recruitment fees, but I really like what you're saying. Can you please mentor and advise me? And then that just kicked off this entire process where this side of my business just skyrocketed because it's so basic to me thinking about it now, but There are so many startup founders that they likely haven't been involved with or seen how a hyper-success, like how Salesforce grew, that they're actively looking for this type of insight and information that I've accumulated over 10 years of being a recruiter, that consulting to them, showing them playbooks, being hands-on, helping them with this, and I guess that's just how it kicked off this entire magical experience where now we've got our recruitment arm. Now we've got our management consulting arm, which features recruitment, but also general advisory, et cetera, et cetera. We're also launching our own venture capital arm. And number one, investing into a business, it's amazing having skin in the game because whether you're recruiting for them or whether you're advising them, it's just an amazing level of duty of care where it's I need to do the best thing by this business because it's also in my best interest and I'm literally like, I'm physically embedded into this company. So it just makes it really, really, really interesting and exciting. So yeah, we're launching our own venture fund because we know that if we're advising these companies and helping them get traction in international markets, we know we can grow the valuation of this company. So... Wow. Mark, that was my sales (laughs) pitch.
1: If you're a recruitment business owner, you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology. But how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients? Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iintro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all, iintro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team, not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop a retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iintro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation. Plus, you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. I'm applauding you here Colin. That was a masterclass on uh on sales really because in fact I'm going to, I did a coaching call just yesterday with our members which is very this is very relevant to I'm going to make sure that all of my members listen to this uh interview because you know clients companies or even candidates are, but especially companies right now are being bombarded with outreach from recruiters, right? And the- Yes. You know, so the volume of emails has gone up, even the volume of calls has gone up. Uh, I heard through one of our clients that who's got a friend who's a, a, a TA leader, that that guy changed his mobile phone number because he was getting so many calls from recruiters. And uh, so- but the the problem is it's noise most recruiters are saying some variation of the same thing like i've been doing this for x number of years we can you know we can we only send you quality people we can fill your jobs faster you know it's they're 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 focusing on filling openings right uh yep. and they're not understanding the the um First of all, who is it that they're trying to influence and, and connect with here? Number two, what are the what's that person's dream outcome? What are they trying to actually achieve? They're not necessarily trying to put a bum on a seat, right? They have a much bigger strategic objective. As you say, they have their own KPIs. They're accountable to deliver certain results and they're incentivized in order to make that happen and then what keeps them awake at night what are the biggest challenges frustrations fears the 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 pain points that they're that they're grappling with and the constraints that they're under you need to focus on how you what you offer can help that client avatar to achieve that dream outcome and navigate through those you know challenges and those pressures that they're under and if you can speak their language is a word that I heard you, you refer to. Uh, if you can speak their language and you show that you understand you know, what they're trying to do and also that you have expertise and experience that can speed that up for them and help them to avoid some of the problems that they're not quite sure how they're gonna get around, then you will get their attention and you will be able to start a relationship. And that, a lot of recruiters struggle to really grasp this and understand. And they're like, why aren't my emails getting a response? Why are people ignoring me? How come, like, we're, we've got these campaigns, we've got LinkedIn campaigns, we've got email campaigns. They're doing, they're, they're focusing on the vehicle, the communication channel, rather than the core message and proposition. And, you know, it doesn't almost matter what vehicle, what channel you use, if your message is wrong, there's no point in scaling a message that nobody cares about, right? So you need to almost go back, like yesterday in this coaching call, I was trying to get people to realize, look, before you even write your email, you need to understand who you're targeting, what their problems are, and how you solve those problems. What's the specific result that you can deliver? What's the specific uh, challenge that you can help them overcome. How do you add value, and how and that you can prove? You need to be able to prove and demonstrate that you've quantifiably helped companies to achieve their objectives and avoid their problems. So you've just done an incredible job of that call, and so uh, yeah, I, I salute you. You've done a brilliant job. So. Where did Thank things man. go from there? Once you've, you've had this kind of like epiphany and you've stripped everything back, you've, you've pivoted in terms of what you guys actually do for your clients. Um, and I can, looking from afar, it looks like things are just absolutely exploding for you. Like what's, what's happened? Like since that point, you and your uh, colleague were going on that walk and you spent two days like really brainstorming this. How has that developed from there? yeah it's it, it look it's been absolutely
0: amazing, and I'm not going to over dramatize it. There's absolutely been challenges as well. like I'm loving what I'm doing. It's extremely interesting. I've never had such a high level of job satisfaction. I am working a lot, and there absolutely are still challenges, but it's just exciting what it is that we're doing. So I mean, there's been so many great things that have happened, so we ourselves are growing and scaling internationally. So we've now opened up two offices in the UK. Uh, we've got somebody on the ground in Israel. I'm currently in Singapore because recently we set up we launched in Singapore and I got my visa approved. So I'm moving to Singapore. We also do have a, we've got an entity over in Tokyo. So it's pretty much all systems go from the perspective that we want to develop a global footprint because we exist to scale companies. And I know that this is excellent product placement. And you mentioned before about the name. And yes, scaler with one R, the domain wasn't available. So that's how we've got the <laughs> two I R's. Um, but we exist to help to scale companies. So if we are also in multiple markets and we know exactly how to do it and how to make this as stress-free as humanly possible, then we're a living embodiment of everything that we preach. And it's just been awesome, man. Like, Some other really interesting things and one thing which I actually want to say, a lot of what I was speaking about before, I did actually take inspiration from one of your interviews, Mark. I can't remember the gentleman's name, but there was a gentleman in Texas. um, He was a recruiter in oil and gas and he had an incredible story about how he just completely turned around his life and just exploded his recruitment business um, by just providing a lot of value add. And by virtue of that, he just networked and met with all the right people because he constantly was aiming to, how can I help people? How can I help and add value to people as much as humanly possible? And it opened up a lot of doors, which is something that also the recruiters miss because it's, hey, I've got this candidate as opposed to, how can I actually assist this person to reach their target goals? Um, But then… I don't even know where to start. Like, it's been incredible in terms of we're now getting picked up for media appearances. So, look, Mark, I am acutely aware that, not to quote Liam Neeson, but I've got a particular set of skills. (laughs) I am not a great manager, but I know that I am a comfortable public speaker and I enjoy doing that kind of work and interactivity. And it's just been really interesting. Like, I've been requested to do speeches in the UK, in Singapore, in Australia. Um, I've been featured on radio. I'm getting a television appearance. Awesome. Surely it's like that that was also deliberate. That's actually another learning that I took away from yourself when you were speaking to me about how to do branding and marketing. And I go I guess I looked at the people who I thought were really, really good at branding themselves, particularly on LinkedIn. Now, they were all for slightly different industries, but I kind of boiled it down. Okay, what is this person doing? Let's study it. And then success leaves clues. And then I just started testing various concepts. And then I started figuring out what it is that my audience likes to hear. And then, look, I inadvertently became the public face of my company, which opened up even more doors and opportunities and Look, some of the things that have transpired since, it's just been amazing. Like, I basically met the guy who invented the self-driving wow. car. i um, have I've I'm actually going to be doing a podcast with him. Fascinating guy. And I'm going to be working with several of his startups. Um, we're advisors to five venture capital firms globally, inclu- including two very significant VC funds internationally. Like I can actually keep on going because there's been some incredible achievements that we've had so far, but... Rather than tooting my own horn, it's, I guess, just from thinking about it in a different way, instead of how do I keep a recruitment business afloat to how can I add value? How can we dominate even in a downturn? What is it that other businesses aren't doing? What are some hyper-successful companies doing? Like How do I add more value to my audience beyond speaking about recruitment? Um, how do I gain pr how do i gain brand awareness and just from asking yourself better questions you start getting better answers and it's just kicked off this incredible upward spiral and trajectory in the business where yeah it's um it's just been colin
1: i'm so happy for you like i you absolutely deserve the success that you're experiencing now and i know the journey you've been on and and the you know the highs and some of the real lows and uh i'm just thrilled for you um so it's, what you're describing sounds like my dream job. Like you've, you're the leader, you're the visionary, you're the public face, you're doing, you know, public speaking. But in order for you to do that, and you've kind of got the, um, you know, the, the, the vision, the mission, and the, the yeah. kind of story of Scalar that you're taking out into the market and um, you're having a bigger and bigger impact. But in order for you to do that, you need a team who are actually yes. going to be able to deliver on the promise that you're making to the market, right? And so can we talk a little bit about, because this is a huge challenge for so many recruitment entrepreneurs is, you know, they've got, a, a they're aspiring to, you know, to scale and to build something, but you also need to, you know, keep the lights on, pay the bills. And that really just means like doing deals, making placements and, you know, so how have you created this, uh, team around you so that you can concentrate on what you do best, what your unique set of skills are that you mentioned, uh, because without them, you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing, right?
0: No, I I agree a hundred percent. And I just wanted to make state something. And I really wanted to emphasize this, my business partner, Matt Borthwick, I couldn't be more grateful to somebody in my life. Like, I love my business partner. Um, he's one of my best friends and just his skill set is so complementary to mine. Um, I am not a people manager. Matt is a people manager. Matt is very, Matt is a very, very good recruiter. Um, he came out through, I guess, James, one of James Kahn's academies and he... You were referencing the term visionary. So for those that are familiar with Gino Wickman's traction, because I'm guessing that's why you cited that, I am the visionary in the company, whereas he's very much the implementer. So I wouldn't be anywhere. This wouldn't work if I didn't have Matt. So you've got two founders that are very well aligned that share a similar type of passion. And look, I found a so Matt actually left from Australia, moved back to the UK for family circumstances. And at the time, that was actually a bit of a hard adaptation. Um, But then it's like, look, do you know what? We've always aimed to go global. So we're going to make this work. And again, figure out a way, make it happen. And it's been really, really good. But then the the people around us, um, well, look, we've got an
1: awesome team. Hey, Colm. Our general manager. Just before you uh, dive into that. I wanted to pick up on a couple of points. One is I need to give a shout out to uh, Leanne Jones Hunt, who is my number two and very uh, has been absolutely instrumental in allowing us to grow our company for the exact same reason. I'm definitely the visionary uh, and she is the the implementer, as you put it. But uh, so hugely complimentary. And I there's no way I would have been able to achieve what uh, what we have without her. So I can totally relate, uh, Colin, to what you're saying. The other thing is um, you mentioned that Matt needed to go back to the UK for family reasons. And you turned that into an opportunity. What could have been a a setback, you turned it into an opportunity. And that is a different way of thinking. And I think a lot of recruitment firm owners are too limited in their thinking. And if some, a key person like wants to move to another country or to go back home to their country of origin, then they think, oh, well, you know, that's, a you know, they, they almost let that happen instead of thinking, hang on a second, this is an opportunity. Like we could expand into that country because this person has the skills, the mindset, they understand our culture. You know, they could, we could export our way of doing things to that new region which is sounds like what you guys have done. And now you've got a base in the UK. Yep, correct. And it, again, it's just a different level of thinking. It's yeah, we
0: lose someone who's very much the heart and soul of the business here in Australia, but it now means that we've got someone who's so entrenched, ingrained, believing in the mission that we're doing, that this is a beautiful opportunity to take our business model from Australia is a relatively small market compared to the United Kingdom to be able to build it out in the UK and go for the dream that we've always had, which is to grow the business across multiple, multiple, multiple geographies to be able to provide that dream for our customers. So it's like, look, do you know what? Let's take this opportunity and let's awesome. make it happen. From that, I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to move to Singapore. I've wanted to move to Singapore for a really, really long time. Like, we're 100% committed. Let's go and make it happen. And it's also really cool as well because – we work with governmental bodies from UK, helping them with getting British companies into Asia. We're doing the same thing with Asian and Australian companies to be able to go into Britain, That is just further built and developed that model. But, um, I did also just want to make a shout out to yeah, the other go people for in my organization it. look, there's too, there's, there's too many of them to cover, but, uh, Matt rolls our GM. I can't manage staff or run and every, hold everything together. Like this guy can, extremely grateful. Um, Jack Wallace, extremely experienced tech vendor recruitment in the U-recruiter in the UK. So now we've got someone with literally my exact same skill set that we've got in Britain, which is I know that we're going to make this exact same success story over there. We've got Liam who's used to work in government. So we actually know we've got somebody – who's got that deep governmental experience in terms of how does international trade actually work? How do these companies get in touch with governmental bodies? That like We wouldn't have that level of insight without him. And just like the rest of my team, Chris, who's super passionate about blockchain because he loves it so much, he's just a gun recruiter in that space. Like this, again, too many to like Courtney, Michael. I'm sorry if I haven't stated everyone, but like working with gifted people who either have a particular passion area or they've got a really complimentary skill set, they've been able to add an extra piece that's been able to grow and scale our business. And I suppose even with this elevated level of thinking, um, I mean, recently we put somebody on the board who I can't disclose just yet, but it's um, getting this person on board, it truly opens up something like 50 international markets for us. So it's just being aware of, I'm acutely aware of my deficiencies. I know where I'm strong. I know where I am woeful. And knowing exactly where the gaps are and being able to identify the people to bring on board that can help us to plug those gaps and the people that we can bring on board. Okay, if we're a 20-person business, how do we get to a 50-person business or a 100-person business? So knowing how to get those people on board, knowing how to make it an attractive proposition, um, I guess that's just another skill set that we had learned which I then tie back to recruitment because when I'm advising my clients, I legitimately know how to do that. I, I can look objectively at their business and say, you're currently a 50-person business. If you want to get to a 100-person business, you might not need, I, you, I'm not going to recommend that you go and hire this general manager. Instead, I'm actually going to recommend that you go out there and get yourself a board advisor, someone which has been there and done that. Because everything that I'm doing now, I'm actually, I'm talking about something which I've physically, I've actually done in my yeah. own business, but truly thinking about it from the perspective of how can I help this business achieve its growth goals? What has been my own life experience? What have I learned from other clients? Like, what is the, leg- like, what is legitimate business advice that I can provide to this person? Because a lot of the time, Mark, honestly, I'm not even speaking about recruitment, a lot of the time I'm just speaking about how to achieve certain business outcomes, which you need the people to do to achieve it. So recruitment kind of just comes into it, but recruitment's more of a subset in terms of how can I help this person to achieve their goals? And to achieve their goals, you're gonna need to do X and Y and Z, but these are the kind of professionals that you're gonna need to bring in. So I suppose it's just
1: it's all been a part Absolutely. of Absolutely. I love it. So um how how big's the team currently, Colin? Uh, I believe we are 19 awesome. at the moment. And you, something interesting that you're doing, which I, I want to point out in, in case it's not obvious why you're doing it this way, I've seen a lot of international expansions or even national expansions opening up of other offices fail. And the biggest reason for them to fail is that the lack of strong local leadership. So they're trying to manage from afar in a region they do not understand with um, without having a, one of the kind of key members of the leadership team on the ground. So what you've done is you've sent a missionary to the UK, right? Someone who is uh, <laughs> like, it can evangelize for you over there. Someone who's like, Uh, like steeped in your culture, you know, your mission who's like lives and breathes Scalar and knows why you've been successful in Melbourne and is going to export that expertise and replicate it. And in any local market, you have to tweak and adapt certain things. You don't change your values. You don't change your mission, but there are cultural differences you need to adapt to. But so you've got that person in the UK, and then you yourself are moving to Singapore to really drive the growth there. But you've all already built the infrastructure with a general manager and a strong team in Melbourne. So you that gives you the confidence to know that Australia is going to continue growing, even if you're not physically uh, you're not physically there. So so really really smart, um, Colin. What's been the What's been the biggest challenge uh, or constraint as you have, you know, uh, worked to realize the vision for Scalar?
0: Not enough hours in the day. Um, Like many entrepreneurs will do and make this mistake, trying to do too much of it yourself. And I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast that know exactly what I'm talking about not realizing when it's now time to start delegating things out and bringing somebody on board to do that, not knowing when to give up control and relinquish. There was a great book that I read called The E-Myth Revisited and it spoke about the difference between a technician to a a technician business owner to an entrepreneur, whereas an entrepreneur is someone which creates systems that run without them. Otherwise, if you're physically the technician, like that's not an entrepreneur. Um, It's very, very different. So not i've done I've started doing this now, where we brought somebody on board extremely he's an absolute legend. I'm very very happy that we've got Paul um who comes from a consulting background, and we've started delegating out quite a lot of the work that we're doing now in consultancy. So we're building the systems and the framework around that because. We have to. Like, if we don't have those systems and frameworks, like, we're just not going to grow and scale as a business. Like, this is what successful companies do, this is how they do it. So, it's not knowing when to have done that sooner, but, mate, it's part of it. Like, you learn as a business owner. Um, something else actually that helped me a lot was it is the gentleman that we've got for our board, but it's also joining an organization called Mm -hmm. EO, Entrepreneur Organization. And by being immersed and surrounded with other entrepreneurs and just speaking with people which have also gone through similar challenges within their business and how they've done it, well, you learn from other people. So you've kind of got that support network and know-how in terms of what is it that you need to do to grow and scale your business. So
1: so welcome to doing business
0: <laughs> well it's just it, it is so what it colin is.
1: um can you I, can you elaborate on the you mentioned the challenge of the constraint is really not enough hours in the day and knowing when to uh relinquish some control and actually um you know get somebody a uh, delegate to somebody else so could you elaborate on that like what yeah
0: yeah you know To give you an analogy, it's like a recruitment manager or a billing manager. So, a lot of the time, it's a really good individual contributor, which has been placed into a billing manager role where a lot of them can come into it with, if it has to be, it's up to me. So, I need to drive most of the results for this team, as opposed to stepping back and how do I impart this wisdom onto my team? And then give them all of the tools and support to enable them to be able to replicate and grow and achieve that level of success themselves. Mm -hmm. Like that's what would be the closest analogy. So I guess in my circumstance where we just seen hyper growth in this new division that we never had, we just wouldn't have thought of a year ago and stepping into something which is completely unknown and just figuring out this new business model, um, just not recognizing sooner where I'm taking on board, I'm taking on way, way, way too much of this myself Many of these things, I can actually get automated, systemized, either give it out to a VA or just hire someone to start taking some of the pressure and the load off of me. Uh, But to be fair, we did recognize that. I'm very grateful to our general manager as well who stepped in to offer to assist with quite a lot of this. We brought somebody on board to also help us with this. So I guess it's just that classic scenario where no, only I know how to do this to the best possible standard, not recognizing that if you don't systemize it, and create automations around it, this isn't a scalable business unit. It's just one person. And if you ever wanted to exit the company, a buyer's not going to purchase that because this isn't a system. You're basically buying key person concentration risk. So it's that realization and it's absolutely something which
1: we've started taking action on. And uh, a couple of things that you said I wanted to pick up on there. One was... um, by the way, have you? I'm reading a book right now that you might like. It's called uh, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Have you come across that one? So the concept is that one of the biggest constraints that limits growth of entrepreneurial companies is the owner trying to do everything themselves. And that yes. um, instead of you don't, and feeling like every strategy and every uh, outcome they're trying to achieve, they need to figure out how to do that. But obviously no one person can know how to do everything. So they just stay where they are, they stay stuck. Instead of thinking, I don't actually need to know how to like every step that is required in order to achieve that goal. I need to find a who who's already done that or who has the capacity to achieve that goal. And they can either bring their knowledge or figure out how We're going to accomplish that, and it's just a—it's a different mindset. Yeah,
0: Mark, you just gave the best possible advert for a recruitment. (laughs) Okay, everything that you just (laughs) described—the people that we're dealing with—they have the same problems. They literally have the same problems. Like these are founders that are also trying to do most of this themselves. That have got an enormous amount of workload on where. Why don't I just go find you someone which has already been there and done that, that can help to implement this playbook? Like, it's so funny that you raised that because the exact same problem that I had and that I'd started, okay, this is what we need to do. Our clients have this issue. Our clients have this issue all of the time. So our job is to help them to identify the people that can help to solve those issues for them. And that is what a tremendous amount of the value is in recruitment. And that's why it's so important to actually understand how does your client's business operate? How do they actually make mm-hmm. money? What is it that keeps a founder awake at night? Who are they beholden to? It's typically shareholders. Why? What What is it that keeps the general manager awake at night? Like, what is the skill set of this founder? Are they a visionary? Okay, if they're a visionary, then they <laughs> lack having someone there, which is an yeah. implementer. This business can't grow and scale without that core cog there, which you can articulate and explain to them based on either our own experience or the experience of businesses that we've worked with. It's everything that you stated there, applying that to, to our clients, it's just, it's magic. And it's, it's needed, it's appreciated, and
1: it's something that they actively want your help Amazing. With. Colin, um, I'd love to understand a little bit more of the mechanics of your growth. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of listeners may be looking at you going, wow, like what Colin's built isn't as is amazing, but I can't see the path from where I am now to where Colin is. Like what were the key milestones or critical hires that allowed, because it's almost like you, you're you on a uh, upward spiral right now, like a virtuous cycle of success. But, you know, there's those those key moments where things feel difficult and where you broke through like, it, since you launched scalar what would you say were the the two or three leaps you had to make in order to get to where you are now diversification of
0: our in uh, diversification of where our leads okay. came from so as opposed to solely relying on yeah. outbound also having partners that would bring that would bring them Got to it. us that foundational understanding of what it is that is keeping our clients awake at night, how they make money, how their businesses actually operate. Um, Also becoming an investor in many of these companies and understanding it at at genuinely, not a people level, but a business level, a valuation type of level, and being able to hold that level of conversation. People want to speak to you. And I think the other one is us creating our own flywheel. Say more instead of being solely reliant Mm. upon placements, well, it's a flywheel and it feeds itself. So consultancy work feeds into recruitment. But then from consultancy work that we're doing and helping in opening up doors for these businesses and potentially landing deals and speaking to partners, if they close those deals, then we take a percentage of revenue from those deals closed. So now we're making an additional stream of income. Um, So we've created... From one, we've actually now created multiple revenue streams that are all feeding into one another. And then because you're going out there and you're helping these companies and introducing them to potential channel partners or customers, as opposed to contacting a business, hey, I've got a candidate, it's, I'd love to introduce you to this business. I think there's a lot of mutual value add. And then you start speaking to them and introducing yourself and building a relationship, and more and more and more people know you. And guess what? They end up giving you recruitment work. And it's just I love it. that, that yeah, entire yeah. flywheel, like that entire value flywheel, that's it's
1: that it's really value cool. flywheel is so interesting. Speaking of introductions, uh, we need to give a shout out to Alan Cutter as well, our mutual friend, Alan. Could you speak a little bit about how you um, connected with Alan and and what you guys, uh, you know, have done together? Alan is the American league. <laughs> <made. laughs>
0: I I love that guy. So we actually met through you, Mark. So I know that you're looking for that one. Um, Alan, you're an absolute legend, but you already know that I think the world of you. It was just really interesting. I was in Israel because we do a lot of work with the Israeli tech ecosystem. And I met Alan who it's literally just the American version of me. Like I specialize in helping companies to do APAC market entry. This guy does US market entry. He also invests in companies. I also invest in companies. We both do advisory work to companies. Um, it's It was just freakish and we hit it off all, like straight away. Plus, like we're not going to be expanding into the US. And with many of these companies that we're working with, I just started referring them to Alan. I'm like, hey, I trust this guy instinctively. He is the person that I recommend speaking with. And then he started doing the exact same with me. So we actually then became referral partners to...
1: One another, and uh,
0: he's he's just a, he's an awesome. I love guy. it, but he already knows that. I, think I love it. Be- yeah,
1: we 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 love Alan uh, in our in our community. Um, he's uh, he's an important person in our uh, in our group as well. So, shout out to Alan. Um, I'm I, I knew you guys would connect. You had so many things in common. I was like, these guys have to yes. know each other because uh, you know I'm sure I'm sure they'll hit it off. Uh, Colin, I feel like we could we could easily do another hour here um, and not run out of things to talk about. But I know you have to go and look at some properties in Singapore. Um, thank you so much. This was uh, a lot of fun, and uh, let's do it again.
0: Yeah, I'd absolutely love to. And uh, Mark, honestly, thank you so much. You've you've been pivotal to much of my success. You've helped me in many many parts of my career whether it was reading your material whether it's becoming your coaching or mentoring student like or whether it's listening to your podcasts it's given me a lot of inspiration and i can honestly say that i wouldn't actually be in the position where i am now if it wasn't for you so more than happy to do this i'm just very very grateful for everything you've done for me so thank you for having me on
1: thank you colin absolutely my pleasure and uh i am excited i can't wait i'm like your cheerleader here in the background can't wait to see what you do next. So it's, uh, it's exciting.
0: Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. And I'd, I'd love to do awesome. this again. Awesome. See you again. Looking forward to, to seeing the release. Thank you. Cheers.
1: Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.